The Star Blades, the Sheffield United podcast from the Star in Sheffield. Yes, welcome to The Star Blades, the Sheffield United podcast from the Sheffield Star. Uh, Sheffield United are back, the return to action, and done so with a goalless draw against Aston Villa at Villa Park. But that result doesn't really begin to tell the story on what, of course, was the re- the, the big kickoff for the re- restart of the Premier League. Uh, that result hit the headlines for more reasons than just that and that was because of the failure of technology which ultimately cost Sheffield United dearly they came away with a point when really if technology had worked they'd have come away with all three but we'll get to that in a second I'm Liam Hoden by the way and uh, the best person to talk us through all this of course the stars Sheffield United man James Shield who was at Villa Park on Wednesday night and speaking to James I kicked off by asking him to talk through that controversial incident where goal line technology failed Sheffield United so much uh it was uh i mean it was a farce wasn't it there's there's no other word for it because the uh the the bizarre thing about this before we probably get into the whole the wider issue of sort of technology in football is that where we were actually sat in the stand we, we were at the other end of the of the stadium and you could you could even tell from where we are you know where we were sorry that that, that ball had been carried across the goal line and so for for three officials, but also seven or God knows how many cameras, Hawkeye has, has supposedly got trained on that on that goal line, not to be able to spot that you know the fact that Nyland had carried the ball into the back of his own net. I just thought was was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you can you can use so many words to describe it: ridiculous, farcical, pathetic. Uh, and it, you know, it, it was all of those things. But the upshot of it was, and let's just hope this doesn't come back to to really cost Sheffield United dear at the end of the season. You know, the upshot of it was that it it denied them two more precious points in their in their push for for Champions League football. So you know, yeah, an utter utter shambles. No other way to describe it. You could argue that this season United's biggest enemy throughout the campaign has been technology itself. The amount of VAR interference and things like that. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Liam. And, you know, I'd, I'd go even further than that. I, I'd actually say technology is, you know, not only Sheffield United's greatest enemy. I think it's football's greatest enemy as well. Because, you know, you saw last night, listen, it wasn't the greatest spectacle. I don't think it ever was going to be, you know, at, at Villa Park. Because there was no crowd inside the stadium. The atmosphere was obviously very, very subdued. But nonetheless, the eyes of the world were on that game because it was the first game that English football has staged since March because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it, was, it wasn't just a game of huge significance for Sheffield United and Aston Villa, who of course are, are battling for survival at the, at the other end of the table, but it was a game of huge, huge significance for English football as well and for it to be reduced to... You know, a situation whereby people are making making up all sorts of jokes about it on social media, uh, you know, where people are still laughing about it on the internet, where people are making, you know, fun of it on, on WhatsApp groups up and down the country and dare I say across the world as well. I just think it was a, was a crying, crying shame. And it just goes to show when you actually drill down into what happened as well, why I just think, you know, football spent a lot of time during lockdown, considering ways of making it easier for players to negotiate their way through this fixture calendar. We've seen the introduction of more substitutes. It's spent an awful lot of ways, you know, 
looking at the science and trying to make sure that these athletes are in tip-top condition and trying to find ways of ensuring that as soon as possible players, uh, sorry, supporters, can, can re-enter the stadiums. I actually think, looking at this, they spent, should have spent a, a little bit longer considering whether they should continue with this ridiculous technological experiment. Because I think, and I've mentioned this in a column for the paper, what, what makes this situation even more ridiculous from my point of view is the fact that when you spoke to some of the main sort of, that some of the main people involved, some of the principal actors, as I did after the game, Oliver Norwood, who of course, you know, whose free kick it was being won, what you realised was, or what the, the only conclusion that you could draw was the fact that if that technology hadn't have been there, I actually suspect that goal would have been given. Yeah. Because judging by the conversations that were going on on the pitch between the Sheffield United players and the referee, Michael Oliver, and his assistant, whose, whose name escapes me. Uh, I've just got it on the, uh, on the team sheet behind the laptop here, but I won't reach over and have a look. But it became clear that they also felt that a goal had been scored, but they didn't award it because the buzzer on their wrists didn't notify that the ball had crossed the line. Now, as we know now, that was a mistake. But I, I suspect, you know, Michael Oliver was probably as confused as anyone else out there, knowing what he saw, but thinking, you know, my eyes must be deceiving me here. And I think we're now in a situation where the tail's wagging the dog. Mm. You know, we, we were told technology, you know, was was going to rid the game of clear and obvious errors. Well, clearly that's not the case. Clearly this technology doesn't work because, you know, for Hawkeye then to come out and to say, well, you know, the, 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 the cameras were obscured by, you know, a post where Nylon was, where another defender was, you know, that may well be the case, but clearly it doesn't work. They called it unprecedented. Well, it actually is precedented because it's just happened. Mm. So I don't think we can rely on this going forward. And, in that situation, I actually think just relying on human judgment would have seen the right outcome. I, I, I suspect the referee would have made the right call had he not subconsciously felt undermined by the technology that is supposedly there to help him. And I'll tell you what, Liam, as well, you've set me off now, but don't even get me on this ridiculous statement that was put out by the PGMOL, you know, trying to explain why VAR didn't get involved, because that is just utterly confusing i i just don't understand it and you know what i might be going overboard and i might have to apologize to someone but i suspect the person who ended up writing it probably didn't really understand the point he was trying to make either or should. yeah incredible really that there is a system there that the entire thing is designed to check an incident and see if there's ever been any any issues with it and it just it just never happened and that's it and the reliant the, the, the two systems there that are supposed to aid referees and help mm. them be as, as good as they can possibly be on the field that's what we're told that they are and all it did is expose now this massive reliance from match officials on this technology for, for decisions like this if he hadn't have given it as well maybe you could have turned around and gone well it were difficult to a lot of bodies it was difficult to tell and you would have given in the benefit of the doubt what you've introduced by introducing this technology is the fact that there is no escaping that a massive error has been made here and there's, fing there's fingers being pointed, and rightly so. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Where you said, you know, it's supposed to help match officials. What it's actually done in this instance is undermine them and make them look stupid. And you know what? I, I think that's actually really unfair on Michael Oliver 
and his assistants who were in the ground, or certainly the one who was who was best positioned to see that that ball had crossed the line. You know, I I actually don't blame them for this because I'm going to be fair here. You know, if I'd have been in that position, I would have probably done this, exactly the same thing myself, thinking, Do you know what, I thought that was in, but it can't have been because I've tested this system. The system works. Well, the system did work, but it obviously doesn't work well enough. It doesn't work properly. So therefore, you know, let's be right, it doesn't work. And for VAR not to get involved as well, I this I just do not understand. Because within seconds of that going across the line, and I tell you what, you'll actually see proof of this if you uh, if, if if you go back and watch the TV coverage, because within seconds of that ball crossing the line. There were pictures arriving on my mobile phone. There were pictures arriving on the mobile phones of journalists around me. And also, you know, no doubt the fans who were watching that game at home or listening to it on the radio, showing that that ball had crossed the line. Within seconds, you also saw Nicky Travis, a member of Sheffield United support staff, who'd watched this on his, on his laptop, go running down the stands to go and, and tell, you know, Chris Wilder and his assistant, Alan Neal, what had happened. And the fact the ball had crossed the line within seconds, I'll say that again. Now, I can go back to earlier this season, and I remember sitting there at White, White Hart Lane, sorry, the London Stadium. The, oh, God, I'm getting the names all mixed up now. I'm getting that annoyed with this. The Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, waiting for five minutes for VAR to decide that John Lundstrom's little toenail had strayed offside during the build up to a goal. You know, we sat there and we waited for that long. There was an incident when West Ham came to Bramall Lane early this season when it worked for once in, in Sheffield United's favour, one of those rare occasions, you know, where we sat there and we waited for a long time before discovering that Robert Snodgrass's late equaliser should have been ruled out. But, you know, supposedly we can't just take a couple of seconds to arrive or, 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 or to, for a VAR official to look at this and to tell Michael Oliver, that's a goal. Because it wouldn't have even taken five minutes to work that out. All you've got to do is use your eyes, look at the pictures, and you can see that ball has crossed the line. But, you know, I just think technology has made the game so much more complicated. And now when you add goal line technology and, you, you, you know, you pile VAR on top of that and all the processes that VAR officials have got to go through, you know, in order to call a... a, a, a call the halt to the action or to drag a game back and, you know, to say, well, you know, it's, it's moved on to this phase of play now, so we, we can't intervene. Oh, for heaven's sake, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. And football, not just Sheffield United, but football deserves better than this because that's also a decision. And again, I'm trying to be fair and look at the bigger picture. Aston Villa got a point out of that game. Now, in the grand scheme of things, I think, you know, they deserved a point out of the game. On, on the overall performance of the two sides. But there's other teams there down, you know, down at the bottom of the table will be looking at and thinking one of our rivals in the battle to avoid the drop here has got a point that really they shouldn't have done. So it's not just Sheffield United that deserve better. Football. And when I say football, I mean players, owners, directors, chairmen, referees, and most importantly supporters, they deserve better than this as well. You touched on it there, the sort of the overall performance, the overall way that the game kind of panned out. What were your thoughts on on how United played uh, and uh, and sort of the balance of the game? Yeah, it 
again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest here. I was, I was really looking forward, as everybody was, to, to sort of getting back to, to watching and, and, and covering some football. And in that sense, yeah, it was. It was a, it was a great occasion. What I'm not going to do is sort of lie and say that it was particularly pleasurable once the game got underway. And that's, that, that's no sort of indictment on the sort of, you know, the commitment or the, you know, the performances or the displays that the players actually put in. There was, there was an awful lot of commitment, determination out there. And you could see they were, they were really trying to strive to sort of match their, and replicate their usual levels of intensity. But the whole occasion, it was, it was very subdued. It was very surreal inside the stadium. I mean, Aston Villa, again, to their credit, they did the, their best to try and sort of, you know, whip up the atmosphere, as, as, as strange as that sounds before the game, by playing sort of the usual walk-on music and, and having a PA announcer there. But then what you had after that was just silence, you know. And it was just like popping a balloon, really. And it almost felt, I might be going slightly overboard here, but it almost felt as if the, the actual main event had become secondary to the build-up because, you know, the atmosphere was almost better during the build-up than it was during the game. I thought it was really interesting, actually, to be able to hear sort of the conversation of the conversations of the players, and to a lesser extent, some of the sort of the chats that were going on on the on the touchline. We were possibly a little bit too far away to to really pick up on all of those. So I enjoyed that part of it, and it's great to have football back, but it's not football as we as we sort of come to to know and love it at the at the highest level. But you know, when all said and done. I think when you look at what the alternative is, it's it's probably a small price to play, but it it will take some getting used to for the players. You can you can tell that. I think you know they they try to prepare for it by watching games in the Bundesliga and Italy now and in in Spain and further afield in South Korea where this has been going on. But you could tell they they felt you know they found it really really difficult. And hopefully, I'm not surprised. Yeah, hopefully that'll be something that now they've kind of got that out of the system. They know what to expect and. In the games coming forward, do you think that'll be the case? Yeah, you would you would hope so. And that that was the point that Oliver Norwood actually made when I spoke to him after the game. You know, he he said I, I didn't quite realise how sort of bizarre and surreal this whole experience was going to be. Uh, but he said, you know, that's an experience that we've had now, and we've got to use that going forward. And you know, players are just going to have to accept that this is this is what it's going to be like for the for the foreseeable future, certainly for the rest of the season. And there's still a big, big prize out there for Sheffield United to try and grab. So, from their perspective, you know, I think they've just got to get their heads down and and get on with it and take it for what it is. I, you know, the, the the one thing that I think's a, a positive, and I scroll back to the uh, the goal that never was as well. I'll, I'll factor this into my calculations: is that Sheffield United are a squad that time and time again have shown that they can overcome disappointment and adversity really really well so you know you would hope that's gonna that's gonna serve them sort of well you know and serve them in a in a positive fashion going forward as well starting at Newcastle on Sunday. It didn't feel particularly like a, a United performance in terms of that that energy going forward and getting players into positions and, and opening up that space is that how you saw it? Yeah I think that's fair enough I mean I and again it's no indictment of of, of the attacking players that Chris Wilder selected because, you know, they as we know, they're, they're top players. They've been huge parts of, you know, the of the team that's 
that, that entered that game seventh in the table. But they didn't really have a, a great cutting edge up top. I think, you know, obviously people further back have, have got to take a little bit of responsibility for that as well. I don't think Villa, although they probably created the better sort of half chances of the game, I don't think they particularly had one either. I, I just think the players got caught up in the in the whole sort of non-atmosphere, as it were, of the of the occasion. But yeah, Sheffield United can play an awful lot better than that. I think you've also got to factor in the uh, the fact that two really key players for them were were absent as well: John Fleck in in midfield and Jack O'Connell, the uh, one of the overlapping centre halves. You know, and that that I think that's an issue for them as well. They probably lacked a little bit of dynamism because those two were out of action. Hopefully, John Fleck's going to be back for the trip to St. James's Park. I will say, actually, I thought Jack Robinson, who came in for Jack O'Connell, did really, you know, really, really well, in fact, as well. Because, you know, that's a difficult position to play in this Sheffield United side. You know, it's not just about the energy. There's a lot of choreography goes into play in that position. Jack O'Connell spent a long, long time nailing that down and perfecting that. And we've seen other players come in in the past on the rare occasions when Jack or Chris Basham haven't been able to play on the other side of that three. And they've found it really difficult to come to terms with them, really difficult to grasp. And there's been some good players that have struggled to do it. There's some good players in the squad right now that have, that have struggled to do it. But I thought Jack, you know, Jack Robinson did as well as he could be expected and, and, and showed that he can get to grips with that system. And, and do you know what? Fair play to the lab. Obviously, it was a very, very different experience for everybody. No more so than yourself. But how, how different was it for, uh, from a normal match day experience? And, and what sort of different things did you sort of encounter along the way as you, you attempted to do your job? Well, I've, I've got very clean hands. I can, I can say that after being having to uh, sanitise those about five or six times on my way into the ground. No, it is. It, it's, it's very, very different, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm at the game to work. I think any fans who, if you could have sort of teleported them into the situation, they would have found it very different as well because, you know, there's, there's very little traffic on the way to the ground. You know, there's very little sort of there's, – there's not many people milling around the stadium when you actually arrive. I mean, the first real difference was not only the level of security, to, you know, before you could actually drive your car into the car park, but was having to undergo a temperature check uh, before you you could actually sort of pick up your accreditation and, and make your way to the sort of the makeshift press entrance. So that 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 was quite a bizarre experience. Big sigh of relief when I passed that with a cold thirty six point four rather than the the thirty eight point two that I think would have meant I wouldn't have been able to to get in. Uh, once again, a little bit more a uh, little bit more hand washing. Before, uh, before I went into the ground. And then, of course, you know, because we've all got to socially distance inside there, uh, it was after putting the face mask on and having to keep that on all the, all the way through the game. Plays have it with the, the computer glasses that I've got to wear, I might add. Those were, those were really steaming up. Uh, but, you know, you're not actually sat in the press box. You're actually sat, you know, dotted around uh, in, the, in the main stand so to sort of make sure that you adhere to the social distancing. And then after the game, obviously all the post-match press conferences are done either by the telephone or or by Zoom. So it's uh, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a it's a strange, strange experience. I've got to say, actually, as much as I've moaned about other sort of aspects of the of the game and and one in particular, I did think 
you know, the people at the ground who had been tasked with making sure it ran as smoothly as possible for us. I, I actually thought, you know, the media representatives from both clubs and the match day staff at Villa, I thought they did a they did a really, really good job, actually, to be honest. It, you know, it made it as easy as possible. And it, and it wasn't always easy, but I'll tell you what, it, it could have been a lot tougher for us. Yeah. Another one coming up this weekend then, Newcastle. Um, what are your thoughts on... On Newcastle as a, as a test for United and uh, what we can expect from United going into this game. Yeah, I mean it's going to be a tough game, isn't it? You know, and that's not a cliche, but it it, it is because Newcastle aren't quite out of the woods yet. Uh, you know, they're going to be having their first experience as well of this sort of bizarre, you know, behind closed doors experience so you know hopefully the fact Sheffield United have already sort of you know had a little taste of that hopefully that might give them a an edge going into this game but you know Newcastle are a good side aren't they they've obviously already won at, at Bramall Lane early this season uh, so you know that's uh, that's a little pointer I think as to how difficult this game is going to be but you know listen the way Sheffield United are playing they're unbeaten in seven now there's no reason why they can't go up there and, and win that game you know, I, I think it's going to be all about attitude, this. I'm not saying attitude is going to decide it because they're, they're both going to have it. But I can see between now and the end of the season, I think what's going to, what's going to decide who does, you know, or which teams do well, I suspect it's going to be which ones can get their heads around this, this sort of whole atmosphere inside the grounds now the best and get their heads around it as quickly as possible. And I think Sheffield United, when you look at the backgrounds that some of their players have got, coming from the lower leagues, having to adapt, not always having the best of things. You know, you, you would suspect that they're probably better equipped to, uh, to deal with, with this situation in a, in a strange sort of way than most. So, you know, I, I, I think they'll, uh, they'll go well, but it, it is going to be difficult. Of course, the other good thing is there's no point in dressing it up. This will cost Sheffield United at some point in the season when they play their first home game. You would think, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier in one sense for the away team going to St. James's Park because there's not going to be 50,000, 60,000 sort of screaming Jordans inside the ground getting on their backs. So, you know, that's going to be a disadvantage for Newcastle. It might be a, an advantage in some sense for Sheffield United, but I suspect not perhaps as much as it would be usually because, of course, they're going to be affected by the lack of a lack of a crowd as well in terms of trying to get up to their usual levels of intensity. But I'm looking forward to the game. You know, I think I think most people uh, will be. I think it's going to be a really intriguing game. But I'll tell you what as well, the, other than the technology, and I promise you I will not go back to that now, the one thing that Wednesday night really, really taught me and the one thing that I'm sure Sunday afternoon will really, really teach me as well is, but just how important the supporters are for football. Definitely, definitely. And in terms of the team news, uh, you mentioned uh, Jack O'Connell. What are we with John Fleck probably coming back, but Jack O'Connell, what is the latest with him? Yeah, the latest is, and I mean, I know, you know, obviously Chris pulled a little bit of a fast one or tried to before the game when he, when he didn't mention Jack O'Connell's injury. He was clearly very, very annoyed that somebody had... had chosen to sort of, you know, reveal the fact that Jack and John were going to be out on, on social media during the build-up to the game. Uh, I think that annoyed him nearly as much as the, as, as the goal that wasn't, as it were. But as I said, I'm not going to get back onto that. You're not going to get me back onto that. 
But, you know, he, he did say quite honestly, actually, after the match, you know, he said it really is a wait-and-see situation with Jack. Uh, he explained, you know, that reports that he was definitely out for the rest of the season are, are wider the mark, you know, that nobody's taken that decision yet and there there is a chance that he'll play again this season. But obviously, reading between the lines, you know, that suggests that Jack isn't going to be back particularly quickly. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're playing a waiting game with him. They, they really are. But, you know, John Flex in a, in a slightly better position. They're hopeful that if he's not back for Sunday, he will certainly be back for the, for the Manchester United game unless he has a setback. And that'll obviously be a, a big, big boost for Sheffield United. As well as Jack Robinson did, it'll obviously be a big, big boost for Sheffield United as well if they can get Jack O'Connell back on the pitch. Yeah, one to keep an eye on then over the uh, the coming days and weeks, and obviously keeping an eye on the things at St James's Park this weekend. James, enjoy it, enjoy that trip up to the northeast, a, a different one again for you. But thanks very much for your time, uh, and we shall speak to you again very soon. Pleasure. Head over to the star.co.uk for all the latest news, views, and analysis of all things Sheffield United. Follow us on Twitter at the Star Blades or search for our dedicated United Facebook group. And remember that you can rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.